श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए भक्तवृंद की जाए प्रेमानंदे सो गुड मॉर्निंग गेन गुड आफ्टरनून गुड टू बी विथ यू एंड I've been asked to speak something. Whether it is a good idea to have a sannyasi speak? Well, on the eve of the honeymoon? I'm not sure. <coughs> But the, the two of you who are married today, Congratulations. You have taken the easy way to attain bhava. Pumsa strio metoni bhava meto. It is said in the Bhagavatam. <laughs> the combination of the man and the woman, this is the kind of bhava. the bhava of the ball and the chain. <laughs> so, <laughs> some kind of bhava anyway. <laughs> But at the same time, uh, the Bhagavatam makes such a strong remark. It is weighing in from a, from a in this regard from a gyan perspective. And it speaks about basically the attraction between the sexes. This is not some dogma, but it's obvious that the world is fostered by the attraction between the two. So it is what makes the world go round. It fuels the the the, the samsara. That is knowledge. To think otherwise is ignorance. But there's also the another perspective. And that is the bhakti perspective. It includes knowledge. Therefore, as I've said before, it is a, a wise love. But it, as a, as a subjective methodology or approach to exploring the depths of consciousness, it has greater power than knowledge unto itself. I don't know. I'll try. <laughs> uh, uh, as a systematic... Uh, yeah. 
as a systematic and methodological approach. To plumbing the depths of consciousness. It, um, it, uh, it, I want to say, it, it picks off where knowledge unto itself leaves off. And it has greater efficacy than knowledge unto itself. Knowledge can destroy ignorance. Bhakti can destroy ignorance and, and give love. Wise love. Hmm. And so as I mentioned yesterday, it is being more powerful than Gyan and including Gyan within it at the same time. It has the power to go where Gyan cannot. It can enter into, therefore, the attraction between the sexes. Which fosters the world of ignorance. And turn such a place into Goloka. The great Bhaktivinoda Thakur sings Griheta Golokobai. He said he was the father of ten or twelve children. And in the song I'm quoting, he's speaking about the efficacy of bhakti. The observance of holy days, like Janamastami and Ekadasi. So easy to do. Hmm. The chanting of the holy name. Worshipping of the deity. Hmm. All such attractive activities. Powerful angas or limbs of the body of bhakti. He speaks beautifully about such practices. And he says to us that in the midst of engaging in them, I saw my house turn into Goloka Vrindavan. This is the power of bhakti. Hmm? Gyan cannot do that. Gyan can hardly enter the house. <laughs> or to speak of turning it into Goloka Vrindavan. So we should never underestimate the, 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 the simple yet profound power 
w Bhakti Devi. Zawsze powinniśmy doceniać prostą, lecz jednocześnie taką potężną moc Bhakti Devi. Our patron saint Bhaktivinoda Thakur has also said. A i Bhaktivinoda Thakur również mówił. Grihe Thakur, Pane Thakur, Sada Hari Bole Thakur. That whether you live in the house or live in the forest, like a sannyasi. If you are always chanting the holy name, then there no difference. Indeed, we find that many uh, great devotees in Gaudiya Sampradaya they were um, grihastas. Uh, Bhagavat makes a distinction between the grihasta and the and the griha grihamedi. You know the term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, grihasta, of course, in this context, means married couples that are devoted to Krishna. They get to practice what the spiritual world is like. By loving one another in the context of loving Krishna. And if they each love Krishna a little more than themselves, then they have the same object of love. This is a good uh, formula for for uh, staying together. Mm. Of course, it's mentioned in the Gita as well that uh, there is a place in Krishna consciousness for uh, this the the desire of the sexes to unite with one another. Indeed, Krishna says there, what is it? Tama virute bhuteshu kamosmi bharatarshava. Dharma virute bhuteshu kamosmi bharatarshava. That union between the sexes that is that is in consideration of dharma. I am. So that's a very strong statement. Hmm. The idea, of course, is that the tendency, the attraction between the sexes, while it fosters the the world, as I say, that needs to be harnessed for spiritual life. Yeah. Indeed, uh, even for civilized material life, it needs to be harnessed. Um, 
Everybody agrees with this. This is not just some religious dogma. But everybody makes a decision where to harness and to what extent. Hmm? I mean, for example, most people don't think that if you're out shopping and you see someone that you're attracted to, that you could just jump on them. <laughs> so it's just a matter of where to, where to draw the line on such. That we might distinguish humanity from animality. But the virtue and the prospect of human life is not found merely in distinguishing it from animality. We certainly have an animal side to ourselves. And animal, animal propensities that need expression. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We need to protect ourselves. And we need to mate. We find, however, that in the less complex forms of life, that the answers to these questions of how to eat, sleep, mate, and defend oneself are built into nature. Do you follow me? All the different forms of life, for example, in the animal kingdom, they know intuitively... Hmm? what to eat and what not to eat, how to sleep, how and when to mate, and so forth. They have a system built within themselves for defense. Mm -hmm. And so, we have these needs as well. But the difference between us and the animal world is is that we have a, another need. And so that need is to pursue the why questions of life. Why am I? Why I have to suffer when I don't want to? Such a troublesome question. It doesn't arise in the animal kingdom. Life is much more simple there. But with difficulty comes the potential to grow also. So this 
much more difficult question that arises in human life. It gives us the chance to grow and realize the full potential of our humanity. Which is not merely to distinguish ourselves from the animal world, from our an- from animality, but to realize our spirituality. Now, in order to answer that why question, we cannot turn to nature. Because this is not a question that pertains to the natural world. How to meet natural needs. The needs of the biological uh, organism. This is a different kind of question. It's not how am I? How to perpetuate the species? It's a, it's a why question. It doesn't really fit in very well to a, a Darwinian evolutionary scheme of things. This thing that is so prominent in human society why why am I self-consciousness this doesn't have any real evolutionary function We're not better equipped to hunt and gather and so forth because we have self-awareness. According to the current version of evolutionary theory, it would seem that such such a prominent aspect of our human existence would have an evolutionary... um, purpose to it that would give us an advantage for survival. But this very same uh, facility drives some people to suicide even. <laughs> The existential question. Hmm. It doesn't give us an edge hmm. for survival necessarily. Hmm. But it does speak to us about the possibility of surviving in an enduring sense beyond the limits of our species and our humanity and animality. 
możemy, możemy przeżyć, ale nie w, nie, z punktu, nie w kontekście tego życia, tego ciała i naszych gatunków, ale w kontekście naszego życia duchowego i naszej duchowości. And it is that with which human society is preoccupied. I tym właśnie zajmuje się głównie ludzkie społeczeństwo. So where will the answer come from? The question itself does not belong to the natural world. Therefore we cannot look there for the answer. We must look not down to where we've come but up from where we may have the opportunity to go given our human uh, life. And if we look up, we find there is a current coming down. From the world of consciousness to address questions arising from and about consciousness. There's some unwillingness to take advantage of such uh, answers. These are often posed as intellectual arguments. But at closer examination, they appear more to be moral arguments. Moral, they appear more to be moral arguments. Arguments for the freedom to remain uh, or to move in the direction of animality. In the name of freedom. But we can see there's a lack of freedom in, in, the, in such species. A lack of freedom in, in the natural world. As I already pointed out, the questions that arise in the animal world are answered by nature itself. There's a great degree of determinism, therefore, we find in the animal world rather than freedom. The why question is the beginning of freedom. I heard a debate between a theist and an atheist, and the atheist said there, there are no why questions. And I replied from within, why do I have to listen to this? 
So, <laughs> so why questions, existential questions, they define us, really. Hmm? Even those who are pressed to reason that there are no why questions. Are reasoning why there are no quest- such questions. Why no why such questions should not be asked. Hmm. We can't get away from this why that we are, so to speak. We are a huge question mark in the in in the in within nature. One that nature throws his hands up and says, I don't have the answer. You must look beyond me. And we sense that there's more to us than than nature. And so, revelation, the, the sadhus, shastra and so forth, these are prominent means through which the world of consciousness responds to the spark of consciousness of self-awareness within ourself to answer the question why. This uh, revelation is therefore somewhat of a, a conversation with human society and, and divinity. Conversation between divinity and humanity. And the idea here is that by pursuing this why question in concert with revelation, the how questions of our lives, of how to eat, sleep, mate, and defend, will be answered very easily. And the extent to which we do not pursue the why questions in relation to in, in a place where they can be answered outside of nature we will be troubled with how to answer the how questions. For example, how to have sex is a huge question in human society. There are you know, thousands of books, movies, and courses, and suggestions, and possibilities, and so forth. Uh, and um, 
as I mentioned, comparatively in the less complex forms of life, the question is answered very simply by nature. The reason we are so perplexed about such questions, about how to have sex, how to eat, how to sleep, and so forth, is that we're not sufficiently focusing on the question that's really pertinent to human society, the why question, and pursuing it in relation to a, a source that can actually answer it. And so while everyone agrees that the sexual urge in human society should be um, harnessed or controlled, that we might be distinguished from the animal kingdom. The sacred texts seek to draw the line such a way that we will not only be distinguished from the animal kingdom, but that our spiritual prospect will not only not be obscured, but it will uh, be um, facilitated. And basically, basically, it's a simple answer on this question. That we should license the affair. Um, celebrate it. And we call that marriage. I was once going to uh, a temple in Vrindavan <laughs> with a, uh, and there was a brahmachari with me, a younger man, and we were on a rickshaw in Vrindavan trying to get to the temple Arctic on time. So as we wound through the, 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 the streets and alleyways of Vrindavan, we came to a crossing and there was a huge procession with a Verma band. Big drums and bugles, horses, Hmm. It was a marriage procession. And the uh, the groom, the man, he was riding on a, on a mule, all dressed up and so forth. Yeah. It's a quite an interesting ceremony, and you've just participated in a, in a similar ceremony without the band, without the mule. <laughs> Without the procession. Więc to jest taka bardzo to była bardzo skomplikowana, wyszukana 
procesja i ceremonia, no tutaj mieliśmy mniejszą ceremonię bez orkiestry, bez procesji, prawdopodobnie bez tych wszystkich zwierząt. At any rate, all the traffic was stopped. And everyone had to stand and observe the wedding procession. So the brahmachari with me was very upset. So we were trying to get to the Arctic on time. Two renunciates. Hmm? And we had to be stopped by a, by a wedding band. He thought this was the, 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 just the, the, the worst possible thing. <laughs> to him it just uh, was saying how bad marriage is. <laughs> But I was very much amused by the whole affair. Mm. And I turned him and I said, no, it's such a nice thing. They're making such a big commotion over this with the trumpets and the kettle drums and announcing everywhere. This man will be with this woman. This woman will be with this man. If you see this man with some other woman, <laughs> that's a problem. Hmm? They're making it difficult for this man to go with any other woman or that woman to go with any other man. They were shouting from the rooftops. Hmm? So I thought, this is very nice. This is what we teach. So I gave some brief education to that brahmachari. <laughs> He's probably married himself now. <laughs> so in this way, if properly understood, hmm, such events as transpired here earlier uh, in the day, give great joy to the sannyasis. Especially when such uh, this was a religious marriage that, that I saw in the streets of Vrindavan. Hmm. But here we have a supra-religious marriage. Because it is uh, performed in the assembly of those embracing the super-religious idea of prema-dharma. This prema-dharma, it walks on the head of ordinary dharma. And it walks on the head of sannyas also. Sarva dharman prityajja mamekam saranam braja. Krishna says in the Gita. Hmm. By embracing this prema dharma I've taught you, Arjun. Hmm. 
centered on love and love of me with no other consideration you can forget about dharma in all the laws governing religious life and you can forget about sannyas also renunciation entirely All that can be found in both of those and more are found in Prem Bhakti. Mm. So a wedding between two persons to give support to themselves to one another for the pursuit of Prema Dharma This is a very glorious uh, affair. Mm. And again, we find many of the uh, eternal associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu were married. And outside of Chaitanya Vaishnavism in the whole of the Hindu uh, uh, world, we find many great devotees in, in married life. And ultimately this speaks to us of the power of bhakti. Hmm. It's true that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas. Such an ideal situation he had as a householder. He gave that up for us to chase after us. But this was a kind of madness on his part. Even after doing so, he put himself in the hands of his own mother. After doing so, he put his himself in, his hand, in the hands of his mother. Allowing her to decide his fate. So the sannyas was rather um, superficial. Not internal. It has to do with the external side of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Not the internal side. Hmm? Internally we are all family men and women. Hmm? There are no sannyasis in Koloka Vrindavan. There are none who are the paradigmatic figures that we should follow, I should say. Still we find them in Gorlila. Prominent example of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. And Rup Sanatan, Shijiv Goswami and so on. For reaching out to us. Mm-hmm. These uh, these great spiritual uh, figures, they um, 
they retired from all other considerations than the outreach of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. But they set very extraordinary examples of renunciation. That even modern day sannyasis cannot follow. Pujapachiramar hmm. said they if you're going to make a garland out of gems, first you have to drill a hole in the gem before you can thread the thread through the ge- through the stones. That is the hard part. So they made an example like this and, and showed the hard work. A standard of renunciation that's difficult to follow. They left for us only the threading of the gems. And we can do this as sannyasis or as householders. Some may have the calling for sannyas and be better psychologically suited to pursue the ideal from that uh, vantage point. Others will be more psycho- better psychologically suited to pursue it from the married perspective. And then there are some bachelors too. <laughs> In today's world, I, I like them. <laughs> Uh, also, <laughs> I have to give a lecture next week about sannyas, so I'll have to come up with a bachelor less, uh, lecture at some point as well. So, at any rate, Bhakti is very generous, so we should assess with good guidance our psychological a necessity situate ourselves accordingly and pursue the ideal of Krishna consciousness with all our might. Therefore, which is best? That depends on, on us. From wherever we feel, we have the most strength to pursue, to, 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 to climb the mountain of uh, spiritual life and enter the valley of love of God. And we should see then renunciation within Krishna consciousness more as a result than as a, a path. Uh, 
It's one of the minor fruits of uh, of the path. Hmm. And it should come quickly <laughs> if we apply ourselves. Hmm. So, these are a few words about marriage. I don't want to take too long. I know you've been busy with rituals and what, all morning long. And we have to conclude the proceedings with Mahaprasad. So with that I'll stop, but I'll ask if there are any questions. What is your name? Behind you. You. No. You. No. You. Why did you come here? I saw you in a dream before you came here. <laughs> so, with that we'll stop. <laughs> you take Prashad and think about that. Sitchitana Mahaprabhu ki jai. Govi Bhaktivrinda ki jai. Govi Premanandi. Haribo.